Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team and KIT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow. Brian, good afternoon. What's up, Jason? How are you today? I'm good. It's hump day, so trying to get over this sort of midweek and look at what have we achieved and what are you going to get to. But who have you brought with you today, Brian? Well, Jace, you know I like to keep things a little interesting and mysterious, right? If you listen to the show intro, it talks about us, right? The North American oil and gas team from IBM and obviously our great sponsor, Ericsson. And then it says, and kit, right? And I think we've released a few shows yet, but we haven't actually had kit is he a in real person? Hold on. Is that a real person? Well, we're going to find out in a minute. And I think is Elvis Presley probably never took the stage <laughs> on time, but always delivered. I'm going to turn it over to Kit just now. Let him introduce himself. And welcome to the show, Kit. Woohoo! Hey, gentlemen. Thank you for letting me on the show. It's a privilege to be here. It's a, that's a big shoes to even be compared to, not even compared, but talking about Elvis and me. Now I can do a mean Porti Valere, if you'd like, an <laughs> opera style, about as far, as about as close as I could ever get to Elvis. I don't even think Elvis could sing opera, actually, so you may be okay. I got connected to the network some time ago and was interviewed by Paige Wilson, and I'm big fans of the platform and the opportunity to try to make an impact to our listeners. So who is well, Kit awesome. then? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say We the all want to know who Kit is. We're on the side of our seats. <laughs> well, Kit spent quite a few years in Texas, so I'm not a native Texan, but I can claim that I lived there for a lot of years in Dallas and Austin, and so I'm a big fan of the Texas state. Now I reside in the great state of Utah, which also has a fair amount of oil and gas around it and that kind of thing. I work for an organization called Anderson Hauser. And we are a metrology company, which means that we sell process instrumentation. If you're working in any sort of application, whether it's oil and gas or food and beverage or life sciences or pulp and paper, these organizations need to be able to measure what they're making, measure flow, temperature, level, analytics, gas analytics, liquid analysis. And so I'm involved in that arena, trying to help organizations, help really the world try to solve some of the world's biggest challenges through our platform, which is Metrology. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good news. Well, welcome to the show, Kit. And it's great to have you join. And I know you'll be a regular host. And I think Anderson Hauser is a really interesting organization, obviously, not just from a product standpoint, but I think we wanted to maybe just do our intro of Kit talking today a little bit about you know, the challenges of seeking out talent in this industry and how early companies need to start thinking about that. And I think we as an industry need to start thinking about getting young individuals early in their education life cycle excited about science and technology and excited about the industry, right? You know, I think, let's face it, we all know that oil and gas as an industry is obviously somewhat rebranding itself as we go through energy transition. And we've talked about it on the show previously. I think a lot of people who don't understand the industry and don't understand kind of what the transformation the industry is going through 
how exciting it can be as a long-term career for young people coming in the industry and as well as how technical and digital and complex the business is getting. And I think when you know we were getting to know each other, kid, a little bit, you talked about the program that Anderson Hauser has to sort of foster that next generation of talent. And I thought we could spend a few minutes talking about that, right? Because I think that's a great topic and one that we really need to probably broaden exposure to. Yep. And it is interesting. You know, I've been with this particular organization over a decade and we've, like any good organization, we're trying to think short-term and long-term. And this whole idea of how do you think to the future when you have so many pressing whirlwind activities? And about nearly 10 years ago, we thought, well, the labor market seems like it's shrinking or it's getting harder and harder to attract individuals to our field, which when you tell someone that you're in metrology, when I'm on a plane somewhere at 30,000 feet and I tell someone that, they mostly say, oh, what's it like talking about the weather? Hey, it's kind of like being in consulting. When you tell them you're in consulting, they quietly put their headphones in, yeah. right? And start <laughs> listening to their book. It's probably very similar, right, Kit? Very, very similar. You can just see their body language drop like, oh boy, I'm no longer interested. I want to talk about weather, but I don't even know what metrology is. And once you tell them it's a science of measurement, then oftentimes that maybe even reduces down more. So we were trying to think, how can we get creative and go for the, I'm sure it's not exclusive to a Simon Sinek, but he talks about the finite game versus the infinite game. Anderson Hauser is a company that's been around for over a half a century, and we are in it for the infinite game, making all sorts of investments back into our research and development, trying to figure out how can we leave less of a carbon footprint and make more of an impact on the world. And so we started to think, how can we make what we do, which we myopically think is very important, more attractive to human beings all over the world? And so it's gone through a number of evolutions, so to speak, but we have what we're calling you know, a workforce development team here at Anderson Hauser. And we are proactively going out to the community, and it isn't just exclusive to the Indiana area, which is where our USA headquarters is. We have lots of activities down in your neck of the woods, down there in Houston, Texas as well. But we're trying all sorts of avenues to reach out to young kids when they're still in elementary school, to middle school, to high school, to then through college, to create more awareness through all sorts of avenues from shows to gatherings to career days. We have even a little room in, on our campus here where we'll actually bring kids in. They can use robotics and they can 3D print our Coriolis meters to try to create some more awareness that this is a very attractive field. Again, it's helping to solve some of the world's biggest challenges. How young are you going to go for kids? I mean, are you down to high school or is it even lower than that? Yeah, down into elementary school area. Elementary, wow. Yeah. So are you guys kid part of kind of, I mean, we talk about the STEM programs, right, that are in a lot of the school districts to really foster engagement and excitement around science and math. And I mean, probably no surprise to our listeners. I, mean, I think the U.S. is certainly seen as a laggard in a lot of ways in that space, right, in terms of the number of students who are entering that field, the level of diversity, you know, I think both from a gender perspective and a social economic perspective into that field. And so obviously there's general recognition that investment needs to happen and we need to change that. Are you guys formally kind of part of any kind of STEM program or STEM-like program in the schools? Like how do you influence 
these young people? And then I guess, how do you stay with them, right? If you see ones that are moving up through the system that ultimately you may want to be part of your organization. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Yeah, we're definitely involved in STEM has become a very pivotal part of our framework to try to create more awareness of what we're doing and how it's connected to math and science and just this idea of creativity. We'll actually go into schools and create these learning environments and opportunities, and then we'll keep track of the kids as well as try to create opportunities for them to touch our world of metrology as well as touch industry. And then we're even doing things like tracking or providing rotational programs and internships as they leave high school or finish high school and then enter college where they can come and work for us for a summer period and really get their hands dirty, so to speak, in learning about what we do and how it can apply to some of their interests. And in many cases, we can apply to a variety of some of these young students' interests just through the nature of the industries that we work in. I like the idea, Kit, that you've said in terms of picking up robotics or picking up the maths people and just showing them a different version of you know, what you can do with the skills you've got. I mean, that's what we need to do with the elementary and high schoolers. So I don't know about you guys, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do going through school. I think I wanted to be a long distance lorry driver because I like driving in languages, but there you go. I love the idea. If I was teased when I was younger, specifically, you know, on some of this robotics, et cetera, I'd be really, really interested in picking this up. It'd be fantastic. Sorry, Brian. No, Jace. I mean, hundred percent right. I mean, it is interesting, right? I do see that we're starting to have a a little bit of shift in this country in terms of how we maybe categorize professional degrees, technical degrees. Absolutely. Um, You know, I know at IBM, for instance, right, you know, we work with institutions that may do technical certificates in computer programming, for instance, even prior to someone going to college. And we'll pick them up through those programs and put them through, you know, a junior skill development program. And many of them are going to college at the same time that we're doing that. And I agree, Jason. I think if you were probably in our generation, a lot of us, when we went to, you know, middle school, high school, there really was no thought process of practical application of what you're learning and skill sets to an industry, number one. Number two, we all know that the world is moving very, very fast. And I think the younger generation picks up technology and science and math skill sets really, really fast. And they can start to contribute often a lot earlier than, you know, going through a traditional four-year degree. So do you guys have programs similar to that where, you know, maybe you'll start picking up people outside of high school and actually put them in a productive job while they finish their degree in parallel? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We actually have, in addition to the sales center division of Anderson House that I work for, we've got all our production centers and we'll bring in folks right out of high school that are interested in some sort of apprenticeship program. And we'll introduce them to the world of metrology through a production side, the sales side, and really help pay for their college, give them a valuable trade. And then by that point, we're really trying our best to retain them and even right now, we've got several that are have been through the program recently that I was connected to that are now flourishing in various parts of our organization. And some have even made transitions from one, let's say, it started in, they were interested in human resources, and then they shifted to the technical side, or they were interested in the project side, and now they're in the technical support side. While it's not a rocket science concept, the idea of thinking to the future and putting some intentionality to how can we attract and create awareness around 
our industry has really helped us to find folks that we never thought, you know, a decade ago that we would have been able to kind of massage along the way. And now they're flourishing contributors to our organization. In many ways, to me, this is how we've made carpenters, electricians, blacksmiths, <laughs> right? And it seems like those concepts, like you said, it's not rocket science. It's not a new concept, but it's making it its way into the corporate world, right? Which it's making its way into maybe the traditional education tracks, you know, high school and college. And in my opinion, what a gift, I think, to students that are coming out to, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but what did I do in high school? I flipped burgers, you know, I ran food at a country club. I mean, I obviously worked, I always worked and I always made a living, but it wasn't necessarily relevant or even helping me hone my skills or my thoughts around what I wanted my future to be, right? Brian, just on back of that one as well, I was thinking about a couple of podcasts ago, David Reed and I were talking and we all generally stumbled. I don't know, it'd be interesting about you, Kip, but we all generally stumbled into oil and gas. We didn't have nice bright lights saying this way, come this way, this is going to be. And the question David Reed and I, so David's the CTO and CMO of NOV, I was testing the view of what do we need to do with some of the younger ones? Do we need to do, or the new generation Z and beyond, do we need to tease them into the industry? Do we need to do it? And he was like, well, let's think about what do the universities need to do? But I love, Kit, what you've said, because I do think we do need to tease, given the bad press the industry's had, we have to do something. And what a great way of doing it, of using the robotics, using the sort of, you know, the early learning, if you like, to get the excitement going and then imagine what you could do as a role. I think it's fantastic. We've certainly become very apparently aware that the technology side does speak to just this younger generation. And so much of our tease, of our marketing, of our showing us, Anderson Hauser, to these young folks is a technology kind of orientation. It's not the exact same as holding your iPhone in your hand, let's say, or your Android, but it's pretty darn close. It has the same sort of appeal and opportunity to really just go wherever you want to go. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you think about this too, and the amount of loyalty I think you build when you pick somebody up early on in their career and you give them a skill set, you give them a way to advance, a way to make their living. Maybe, you know, I can speak personally that I worked all my way through college. I didn't have, you know, tuition handed to me. And I would have loved to, you know, have got on in an apprenticeship with a company. I mean, like you said, Jace, I completely stumbled into what I do, sort of out of getting out of school. When you pick up a talent like that early on and maybe right out of high school and they need assistance with college and you help them get their degree and you teach them a skill set that advances themselves, I think you build some stickiness, right? Which I think is another big problem in the workforce today, right? People don't stay with companies 25 or 30 years anymore. They don't feel like there's a reason to, right? They don't feel like the company invested in them enough or invested in them early enough to dedicate their entire career to them. And I think this is an avenue that could change that, right? Yeah. And just to put just some rough numbers to that, if the program has been going close to seven, eight, nine years now, and when we began the program, we a bit stumbled into it as well in terms of when we began the program, it was more looking folks coming either their junior or senior year, let's say at Purdue, and we were able to entice, encourage, tease them enough that they they came eight, nine years later. Those folks are superstars here. The sticky factor has been fantastic in terms of they cut their teeth early on. They saw 
the contribution they could make. And many of those folks today are in already in great leadership positions, you know, almost a decade later, still here making a great contribution. Kit, what could the schools or universities do more to do this? I mean, even thinking outside of Endress and Hauser, and we're talking about the industry, do we think the schools and universities could help us more? What's your view of that one? No, that's a great question. And with that said, they do do a lot. We have a whole team here that goes out to all sorts of career fairs and looks for folks. Now, to the degree that they're looking maybe earlier, middle school, elementary school, that would be interesting to see. Probably more could be done there. Yeah, Yeah. I wonder also, someone else told a story to me the other day that there was a career fair and everyone's queuing up at the Google Microsoft store. And there was a story I was told by a CIO that said when they asked why were the oil and gas table, there was a view that said, well, you guys don't do IT. We had a discussion again on another podcast. I thought, wow, hold on. So the industry's really got a bad name for itself. And clearly that's taken over and the press has done badly for us. We've got a whole bunch of work here that we all clearly do IT. But the industry, we need to go out and market this more. And I think that's another thing that we need to do with the schools and universities and show Kit exactly what we do, how we do in green energy, what type of projects are we getting involved in, and what type of skills we need. If we don't, we're going to undersell ourselves and we're not going to have the skills we need, even if we partner all together in the industry to transition our energy business. Yeah. And Jason, I mean, you said earlier, you know, what can the schools and universities do? And it's probably limited, right? What's interesting about what Indris and Hauser is doing is they're not asking what the schools and universities do. They're asking what they can do for the schools and universities, right? Yeah. The other way. And I think that's the opportunity because first of all, you know, you can't expect, I think, the educators to be always able to deliver hyper-relevant content, right, to, you know, the technology and industry today. It's The system is just isn't set up for that. But it seems like the school systems are typically pretty open to the community and corporations coming in and putting investment back into them to develop. And so we often hear a lot of banter and complaints around, you know, what our education system is becoming and we're not delivering enough, enough science and technology capabilities in this country to keep up with demand. But, you know, I think kind of what we're talking about today, there's a path to fix it, right? I mean, you know, the same maybe entrepreneurial spirit that built some of the great brands and companies in our industry today. And I know many of them are doing things like this, right? I'm not saying this is a brand new concept, but it's maybe something that we need to do more of instead of relying on the schools. It takes a village and companies put more investment earlier on in the cycle, right? You mentioned great university Kit, obviously. And I think that's the other element of this is I think we often overlook the amount of talent that can be fostered maybe in not the top brand name universities or top school districts, you know, in the communities, if you put investment in those, in the areas that maybe are often overlooked. And I think there's a big aspect of sort of bootstrapping that effort as well, right? By the way, we all know, you know, attracting top talent out of Harvard is probably a lot more expensive than attracting, I won't, I won't name any schools to insult anybody, but a tier three or tier four school or, or even a high school that, you know, you want to attract talent of and put in an internship, right? You know what we need to do? I was just thinking, I walked my way through it as well, whether it was milk, bread, newspapers, <laughs> working in shops, anything I could get, you know, laying roads. But actually one of the things my school did for me, I always wanted to join military and they sent me on sort of six weeks, two weeks with the Navy, two weeks with the RAF, two weeks with the Army. 
It was fantastic for me. That was a great, it toned me down as well and gave me a view. Now, why did I not join? I probably, I always thought my mouth would get me into trouble. and I'd probably be doing 200 press-ups for every sort of every second or every minute. As I say, if I don't anybody seen you, check him out on LinkedIn. I think when Jason was doing push-ups in the military, there were 10 guys on his back, right? So uh... <laughs> They call me the gorilla, but there you go. Hey, Kit, just a question about you. We gave a bit of an intro, but I know a little bit more about you. You've been writing books, run marathons. You've done leadership principles. Give us a little bit more, given that this is the Kit and we're sort of wrapping this up. Give us a view a bit more about those three areas, because for me, that was... You and I had this discussion a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, wow, now we're, did I get that right or wrong? I mean, books, yeah, oh, no. leadership principles and running, I think, was the three things that you left me with. I like that description. Yeah, like you gentlemen, I stumbled into kind of where I am today. If you'd asked me 10, 20, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have said I would be in the world and loving metrology. I'm an avid outdoorsman. By that, I mean, I love to compete. I'm a marathoner, ultra marathoner guy. I've kind of toned down as I passed the half century part of my life, but I'm down to doing one marathon a year to keep up with every year of my life. But for a lot of years, I did those ultra marathons where you do anything over 26 up to 100. Then I got into the Ironman race and made my way to the Hawaii Ironman Championship in Kona. I intentionally live in Utah because I love the outdoors and love doing long miles out there on that arena. I stumbled into this arena through 30 years ago reading a book that I've just still advocate as my favorite book on the planet, and that's Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which really set the foundation for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm involved with helping create education around the world of metrology being something that's very attractive, but I also, through the Seven Habits, have done most of my career is helping myself and others personally, interpersonally, managerially, and organizationally try to figure out how do you optimize your effectiveness. So I've done various roles around that. Right now, for Anderson Hauser, the title that I have is kind of an interesting one, perhaps, uh, at least for me. I'm the Director of Organizational Behavior. So we're looking at Anderson Hauser to try to organizationally, how do we get everything synced up so we can maximize the output and ensure that a person's behavior, which is up to them, but it's also indicative of the environment that a person finds themselves in. So, for example, all these new folks that we're bringing into the organization, as well as those folks that are trying to create a world of interest around metrology for these young folks, we're trying to help set an environment for our employees so they can be excited as they talk to these young people so they can feel their energy. Along the way, to your point, Jason, I wrote a book. It's maybe a little bit indicative of kind of my interest, but the name of the book, try to put your head around this, the preamble to it is, you know how we make commitments often and we don't always keep them. We're tempted not to keep our commitments. And we tend to chicken out on some of those sometimes. So the name of the book that I wrote is called Don't Pull the Chicken Switch. (laughs) Don't pull the chicken switch. And it just walks you through a process of how can I be intentional about my commitments and then not chicken out. I like it. I love it. Hey, Jace, I do want to go back to a conversation when we were launching this show. We were talking about having Kid on here. Yeah. You know, I thought he was supposed to come on and make us look like overachievers. And I think we've been duped a little bit, right? I think you we know? have. Yeah. You I only, think we know why it's, hey, it needs to come I, on. I'm only down to one marathon a year, right? I'm down to one a decade, by the way. I just want to make sure everybody I'm understands doing a 5K that. next week. Does that count? <laughs> Writing a book. No, Kit, I mean, it's great. I think it's, you're going to be a great addition to the show. And I think a lot of 
building the energy workforce of tomorrow is a lot, I think, what you're doing in Interest in Hauser, and that is building the culture, right, and the organizational support model to help not only the new talent coming into the business, but also existing talent that needs to take their career to the next level to succeed. And I think there'll be a lot of great topics that uh, we'll certainly want to have you in the show and participate. And I'm sure, Jace, that many of our listeners are probably getting tired of hearing the Texan and the Scott. And Jerry's sort of like a hybrid Texan, isn't he, right? He's like Texas, Mexico, New York. Texas, Mexico, New York. Yeah, Yeah. let's call him that one. Let's see if he's really listening to this podcast and see if he catches up on that one. We'll put a few links in the show notes for Jerry, right? <laughs> but no, Kit, great to have you on the show. I think it's a great thing that Indris and Hauser is doing around uh, building cool you know, talent you. in future for the future workforce. Look forward to having you on a few more shows here. Late arrival, but a great arrival, right? Perfect. <laughs> Man, I'm honored to be on the show and I uh, hope that we can find a way to bring on others so we can help our viewers understand the, more about the workforce and how we can tap that potential that's boundless. If we can just find the right formula and the right levers, everything's possible for someone who wants to bring their heart and their mind to work. Kit, we're already talking to some universities and colleges. I'd love you on those ones because I think the impact of what you guys are already doing and then sharing with the oil and gas industry what more we need to be doing, I think that'd be fantastic. So welcome. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Kit. That's another episode done. Please, guys, give this a listen. Please drop your comments. We will change, adapt, adopt, improve. And if you want to get involved, seriously, you could be the next Kit, the next Brian. Let's Jason. Let's get you on. Let's do it. Thanks, guys. Speak to you next time. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Kit. Awesome. Bye, guys. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.